are you here to live or are you just living? Meaning, you know, like, are you really going to, are you really going to try to, to live your life to the fullest? Or are you just okay? Like getting by, making sure that you make rent every month and all that. And it's, that's part of the, uh, that's part of like my inner dialogue of like, what, what do I really want to do? Like, can I, could I honestly do this until I'm 65? I don't know. And um, that's the question I've been asking myself. Oh my gosh, Academics Mean Business community, guess what? We have a Facebook group. Ah, so exciting. Uh, In this community that we just created, we're just going to be hashing out the latest episodes, you know, interacting with some of my guests, talking about the issues that are plaguing us in both academia and in building a business, and really just building that community uh, of people that are like you. (laughs) So I cannot wait to engage with with you over there. So really quickly, just head on over and search Academics Mean Business, the community, and the Facebook group will come up. We will also put a link in the show notes. All right. So without further ado, next episode is following this. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today, my guest is Dr. Dave Eng. He was uh, such a blast to interview. Uh, he happens to do some improv and some comedy, so he's he's uh, pretty funny and light on his feet. We'll go with that. Um, he also holds uh, a similar degree as me, which is an educational doctorate. And he currently is the Director of Student Activities and an adjunct professor over at St. Thomas Aquinas College. So we talk a little bit, you know, what I love about this interview is we talk a little bit about his role on campus and how it is actually a little different than being a professor um, all the time and teaching all the time. He has, you know, he is involved in student services. And so I I loved and was super excited to bring him on because he brought that, that other angle. Another thing I really liked about this interview that's a little bit different from our previous interviews is he's actually just stepping into starting a business. And so we got to talk about these kind of early stages of, you know, that beginning of a, of a new income stream um, and how that actually might need to be discussed with your institution and that that might be a best practice depending on, um, you know, how your school is organized. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to this interview. Dave is awesome. And I think you will learn a lot. All right. Welcome, Dave Eng, today. I am thrilled that you're on. He actually messaged me through my website. So this is um, another another episode with um, someone who I didn't know prior. Like I'm starting to actually have people watching me, so um, which is fun and exciting and scary also. Um, but I just wanted to say welcome to you and thank you so much for coming on Academics Mean Business. And I'm excited to hear about the work you're doing at Institute because it is a little bit of a different angle than some of my other guests that I've had, uh, but definitely one that I want represented. So welcome, welcome. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm glad to be here. Yay. Uh, So we typically start with the academic journey on Academics Mean Business. So I'd love to hear what you studied um, in college and what you did graduate work in. And then if you want to tell us a little bit about where you're employed and kind of what you're -hmm. you're doing there. So give us that background. Sure. So uh, I graduated from the University of Hartford in Connecticut. Uh, I was the kind of kid out of high school that was like, I just want to go to school out of state. So I was like, okay, as long as it's out of state, I'm happy with 
of that. Uh, ended up going to the University of Hartford, and I was also the kind of student that had like four majors over four years. Ah. And I was, I just, I remember going to my advisor like the fall semester of my senior year, and I just said, "What, what can I change it to where I can graduate in May?" And he's like, "Why don't you major in communications, advertising?" So I was like. You know what? I communicate every day, so why not? So <laughs> I, good. I, I majored in advertising, uh, and then I um, I'm from New Jersey originally, so I moved back home. Was working in advertising on the, in the city, so on Madison Avenue. Um, not like Madman, but I guess it was pretty cool because I was I was working on that famous street. Uh, realized I did not like advertising, or did not like mm. really like a corporate advertising world. Um, my friend at the time was going to the NYU master's program in um, student affairs, higher education administration and that was the thing that I did when I was an undergrad so I was super involved I worked for the student union I was uh, president of my fraternity I started my mm. own improv comedy group so oh I was gosh. like I was like wait a second so you're telling me I was like you're telling me I can I can go back to college and just work for a college and do all the stuff that I was doing but now I get paid and she's like yeah definitely so I said sign me up I'm in so I went and to NYU. What's tuition? I'll write the check right yeah, now. Yeah, I just like I, I just want to do that because I don't want to work cool. in advertising anymore. Mm. Uh, I went in. Um, I was uh, back in 2009. I graduated and then um, worked in student affairs in upstate New York and down in Philadelphia and on semester at sea for a while. So I got oh, paid yeah. to travel around the world with those 400 plus students. That was like the time of my life. And then uh, 2014, I said. Um, I was like, you know what? I think I want to do it. I want to. I want to go for my doctorate. Uh, after grad school, I was like, I don't know if I want any more schooling. I think I'm okay mm. with this now. And then uh, it was more of a, a like a personal decision. I'm like, I just want to sure. know if I could do it. You know, I want to know. It's it, you know, it was it was a race against myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like one of the fast the the one of the people in my cohort that finished the quickest. So I did it in just under three years, um, which was great because I, my mindset was like, I do not want to maximize the amount of time I'm working full-time and going to school full-time. So um, that is the academic journey in a nutshell. Yeah, there you go. Well done. Um, There was a lot in there, actually, Mm -hmm. that I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, I feel like we have a similar background. Um, Did you you say that you were working full-time and did that in three years? Yeah, yeah, did both bananas and so I from what I know from people who work a little more on the admin side of things and Mm -hmm. not so much in the teaching side you guys are pretty standard nine to five or is what you do in your role at the university maybe a little more flexible than that so mine is it's both so like (laughs) it's crazy because I am director of student activities so I run uh, an office a unit at the college mm. um, but we are a small college so I am the I am the only full-time person that works in my office so I'm directing wow. this office full-time so it, because of that I'm expected to keep nine to five hours but oh, we also run events after hours and on weekends mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, really it's kind of like hey you got to do this 80 or 100 hours worth of work, but you spread it around as, as to how you do it. So there's a lot of like <laughs> yeah. Thursday nights, Friday nights, Sunday mornings, mm. Monday nights, Monday mornings. Um, and it's just it's just crazy. So it was it was just a matter of like, how do you find balance in all of this? And sure. how do I try to how do I try to, to earn this degree while I'm doing all of that? Yeah. So what I hear in your story, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but the assumption I'm making is as, as based on my own background background. Um, I personally loved college. I loved high school actually as well. And so I think when I started to think about what I wanted to be when I grew up or whatever, I was like, hmm, 
I don't know. That was fun. I'll just hang around there for a while. And I went into like high school teaching for a little while and I was like pretty quickly, nah. But um, in college, I was I was president of my sorority. So there, there we go. go. We can yep. be like a little that's like pretty similar. And so, yeah, twinsies. student affairs, <laughs> twinsies right there. Yeah. Student affairs was always something um, in college that I remember you guys probably have that. And maybe it's you. Are you in charge of um, like Greek, Greek life? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had we actually had a few organizations, but now we only have one, which mm. is I guess easier to manage since I'm only one person. But we we don't have like a huge Greek life like at Alabama or Mississippi mm. or yeah. Georgia or any big state school. Like we're just not that we're a small liberal arts college. That's what we got. Are. It yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. So I remember looking at the person who was our Greek, Greek life coordinator and that was like his job. So I don't think he was as all encompassing as you are because he it was at San Diego State. So um, I just remember really like, Troy, you have a really chill life. Like, also, I was a little skeptical. I'm like, what are you doing hanging around all these like sorority girls <laughs> like every weekend? But, you know, hey, not a bad gig. That is as good. That is what <laughs> I do. Is, I mean, that is something you do. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Um, cool. So, okay. So you obviously have a varied background starting your own improv. Like I kind of want to hear more about that, but I, I, I think what, and, and maybe it's, it's related. Um, like how did you start to, when, when did you start thinking about starting a business with all your free time that you obviously have? <laughs> <laughs> I was um, I was still in the doctoral program, but I was like I was like on the terminal end. So I was working on mm. my last chapter. I was getting ready to defend, and I um, a part of our institution. I'm on contract, so it's just renewed on a yearly basis. If the if I'm in the good graces with the president, and in the contract is um, you know if you pursue any work outside of the college, it mm. has to be cleared by the president. Mm-hmm. So I I knew that like you know this is an administrative process. I'm going to have to start this early. So like while, while I was on the terminal end, I said kept asking my boss about you know having that conversation with the president and getting me cleared so I'm like you know above board and everything so that was maybe about like like December 2016 maybe and then like maybe about four months ago I got the okay so I was like okay good I'm I'm really glad I got that uh, started that early then if it took this long so that I guess back then that's when I was thinking about it okay cool and um you know with your background where you kind of went into corporate and maybe that's like part of the seed that was planted, you know, for me, I, I felt and like some other my other guests that like they didn't have an academic bone or academic, a business bone in their body and that it was kind of this surprise. So I'm curious, based on what I, I like learning a little bit about your background, it sounds like you've had like multifaceted interests. So was there someone in your family or a mentor or something where you saw like, oh, hey, like, I think I'd like to start a business and almost seeing that as even a possibility um if you could take us back to when that happened okay um so um i actually heard about your podcast and your business originally from my friend um shannon because she's a she's an entrepreneur she's a business coach um and she was like yeah you know what you have a lot of skills you should you know like you should do contract work you should do something and i was Mm -hmm. like like what like i i run parties at a college on the weekend and i run bus trips (laughs) in the city yeah which is kind of a big deal yeah but she's like no you teach leadership classes Mm -hmm. i I was teaching Mm -hmm. i teach public speaking like she's Mm -hmm. like you have those marketable skills so she referred me out to skillshare or and like teachable Uh and she's like hey you know there's this other person that's like like you and doing stuff that i think you could be (laughs) doing weird has some letters after their name yeah yeah yeah. she's like she's got edd after her name just like you and i was like okay i'll check it out and i was like hey 
I can do that. Like, I could do that. Yeah, that could be me. So I don't know if you've had this feeling yet, because if you've given yourself a moment to have this feeling, but I wrapped up my dissertation, my first uh, full-time uh, semester as a, as a tenure-track professor. So, like, I was doing the last minute, like, last chapter and stuff, and the defense was in December, and I had just got my first job, um, my first big job where it was all at one college and that kind of thing. And, um, and then it was like, when I graduated, and this is December 2015... I just woke up in January and I'm like, wait, what am I going to do every morning at, I think, you know, I was, and most mornings I was getting up at 5am so I could write before I taught. Um, and I'm like, what am I going to do with this time? Like that, like I felt that too, where it was kind of just like you're, you're, it's, you have to develop a writing practice specifically if you have a full-time job. Um, they're not that people who, um, you know, are getting a PhD or doing doctorate work who, who don't, have a full-time job, like don't have to have that also. Um, actually, I think it's more important in many ways. Um, but there was something about this, this morning I made for myself and I'm like, what am I going to do with it? And I was like, people work out. I heard like, I've never done that in my life. And so like, that was actually how I started. Like, and so I'm, that's interesting. Like, I feel like we might have similar personalities in that sense. And, and probably a lot of, um, you know, producers, like people who like to, who work, you know, like have that generating kind of, um, or feel productive at least. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just like, what am I going to do with that? And so I started working out and that's how I fell into like an MLM. And then I was like, same to you. Like, Oh, I'm just doing this side stuff to like fill that time and I enjoy it and I'm making money. And then it's like, Oh wait, I can make money not at the college. That was a big moment for me. So I'm curious if, um, you know, the idea of supplementing your income was part of that conversation where you're kind of like, yeah, if you want to speak more to that, like when, when your friend Shannon kind of came to you and mentioned it, but it sounds like you were researching it too, like heading into the position. So I'm curious around any sort of emotional kind of identity stuff around um, making money versus like serving an institution, which is, you know, we sign up for this not to get paid, obviously a ton, but we're serving our students and we're serving this institution. So if you could speak to that at all. It was, um, yeah, because like faculty or student affairs people in general, we're here, you know, you're, uh, I see faculty is here for three reasons. One, to teach, for service, and for scholarship. Mm-hmm. For student affairs people, we are here to support the student experience. Mm-hmm. And when I first got into it, I was like all about that. I was kind of like a quarter life crisis, trying to find relevance in the workforce. Mm. You know, like I don't want to give up the college years because it was the best years of my life. How do I turn that into a profession? And then now this is my 11th year working in student affairs mm-hmm. and um, um, you know again I'm going into like a crisis of like okay well I've done this for 11 years now it feels pretty good but I feel like I could be doing more, more. and um, part of the reason why I, why I went for my doctorate was I, it was a personal challenge and also I figured like if I want to take a more senior administrative position mm-hmm. they're looking for people with terminal degrees so I'm sure. like okay if anything this will you know open up some options for me in the future and then after I finished it I was like well you know what i I'm not really 100% sold on the fact that I want to become a dean mm. or a VP or something mm-hmm. else. And I, I, I was like on um, uh, checking jobs on the Chronicle and like um, uh, in, uh, uh, higher ed jobs. And I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, I don't know. None of these really inspire me right Ooh. now. But mm-hmm. I mean, like, I feel like 
um, my my friend Shannon and her husband Anthony all both have um, you know uh, they have side gigs. You know, uh-huh. Shannon's an entrepreneur. Anthony has a, a side business. Are they in like, academic academic life too, or no? They have a nine to five and have a side gig. Um, Shannon is an entrepreneur. Uh, Anthony has a nine to five, but he Got works it. completely remotely, and then he has a, a, a side gig that he works. And I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds really cool. And I know that like my, my main uh, focus right now is I just want to have a more flexible lifestyle mm-hmm. because I mean, you know, if you work, if you, if you continue to work like 80 hours a week and burn the candle at both ends, you're going to, you're going to get burnt out pretty quickly. And I, I see myself approaching and their that. freedom values, like what and are their they freedom doing? values <laughs> and their, their social justice and their avocado toast and their standing desk, all of that. <laughs> the school's mm. not enough, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really all about this, like, it, for me, it always goes back to like, what is my identity? And mm. when I was in college, I identified like, I was an improv group and I did, um, uh, and I was in my fraternity and then I graduated and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, uh, Working in student affairs, I'm a student affairs professional, higher education administrator. Then I worked for a semester at sea and like, okay, I'm a world traveler. Then I became a doctoral student. Then I studied games, so I'm a gamer. Mm. I, I research games now. Oh, cool. And now I'm like, I don't, you've been a lot of things. I don't know, what do you, what do you want to be now, Dave? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll be an entrepreneur. This is a, a good next step. Yeah, with Shark Tank and everything, super inspiring like every week. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's so, okay, so I just had an aha moment because um, I'm like, we're twins, like this whole interview has been, um, where that's actually been, a lot of my life. Um, and student was a huge part of that for like 30 years, right? Like, I mean, if you count like you, you know, you're five years old and you go into kindergarten, I pretty much was in school or some version of school that entire time until I walked out um, and defended my dissertation. So part of my post-academic, um, sorry, post, uh, yeah, getting the terminal degree was like, wait, this is the end. And then like I had the job and I was like, I did it all. And it was that moment of like, what am I doing next? And then it was like, I'm a person that works out. And then it was like, oh, like I could start a business. But even there's even some other identities in there. I was a vegan for a really long time. And I actually am not anymore. And that had a huge identity crisis. So yeah, the the identity shift. um, So so here's a question, because I'm struggling with this currently. Do you identify or do you... hmm, so I'm struggling because I'm actually looking at San Diego City College from my like office right now, which I did, I don't think is a, un, is a universe like not really is really sending me a message here. I just moved in here like three days ago. Um, oh, okay. And as the podcast will chronicle, we've been in Belgium and London and all these other places. And I felt like I needed to be stable for a second. Um, but apartment came up and it's across the street from San Diego City College. And I was like, Really? Like the universe really? is sending you a message. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And so, you know, my husband decided to actually, he wants to tutor and he, and I'm like, Oh, that sounds super fun. And like, again, really flexible, but I bring that all up because I look at it and I'm like, I'm watching the students. They just started school and Derek was on campus. We walk our dog right there. And it was like, you can see the classrooms open where the teachers like showing the textbook and like the first day of school. I loved that day. It's like the energy. And I'm just like, and then, and then also reliving and talking to people still in the system and like still doing that kind of work. It's like, you know, I do have a part of me that's like, it's been a year, you know? Um, 
So I guess my question is, is it easy for you or do you feel some struggle that like there is like two parts of you? Do you ever see yourself moving into full-time entrepreneurship? Um, what, like, what's going on kind of with you right now as you kind of straddle those two worlds and they're very different worlds? Uh, it's, I, I am really attracted to the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Um, but like just looking at it from a logistical standpoint, I'm like, I, I like getting paid regularly sure. for, you know, regular work. I also like having a 403B. I like mm-hmm. having, um, you know, medical insurance and that's Healthcare. all nice, but I know yeah. that that is going to be, um, that's going to be up in the air mm-hmm. if you're a true entrepreneur and you're doing, you're doing contract work and it's really just from moving from client to client. So I don't know, like, I kind of like this, uh, I kind of like this life I built for myself, but, um, the, the conversation I always have with my girlfriend is about like, are you, are you here to live or are you just living? Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, like, are you really going to, are you really going to try to, to live your life to the fullest? Or are you just okay, like, getting by? making sure that you make rent every month and all that and it's that's part of the uh, that's part of like my inner dialogue of like what what do I really want to do like mm-hmm. can I could I honestly do this until I'm 65 I don't know and um, that's the question I've been asking myself so I kind of see this as as like another option part of sure. the reason like why I went to my doctoral program was it'll open up options for me I feel like if I go down this path I'll have at least a little more options or a yeah, few more options that makes sense and that that speaks to me too and I, <laughs> not to make this any worse for you or anything but I remember <laughs> <laughs> one of the calls I had with a close um, close like kind of business mentor slash friend. Um, you know, I had some issues around making money, I guess. And I put that in air quotes. And um, I remember, so part, part of my academic story, or sorry, part of my entrepreneur story is actually related to um, something that I've never talked about on the podcast um, of a few years ago, I think it's been three and potentially four. I might be wrong on that. My dad had a seizure and it was, it was one of those moments where you just, and I was up in Northern California. Um, my husband and I, like our families are both Southern California. And so again, feels like we're coming home a little bit being in San Diego right now, but, um, my family's in LA and I was in, uh, Santa Rosa area. And, you know, I got, I got that call from my mom at like 9am and it was, I was getting ready and she's like, you know, dad had a seizure. I'm at the hospital. And I'm just like, what? And then she, she told me, she goes, yeah, it actually happened at 6am. No, I, no, I'm sorry. She didn't tell me at 9am. She told me later that evening and she's like, this happened this morning and she was home and she's like, it's, everything's fine. Like we're, you know, we're doing tests and stuff, but she goes, I didn't want to bother you because I knew you couldn't do anything. And I remember that. And I was just like, like that feeling of, I can't because someone else, you know, she's like, I didn't want you to worry about it as you taught. And like you were sitting in front of your students. I'm like, mom, like this is a really big deal. And like, so that was kind of my first moment of going like, oh, shoot, I don't have a lot of control over my life. Like, yes, my institution would let me go the next morning if I needed to or whatever. But the fact that my mom was making that decision to like not tell me and whatever, like all these little things. And so um, that popped into my head. And when that when that And I was doing and running my MLM at that time. And part of me was like, man, if I was like a full time doing this and I didn't have teaching, I could have, my mom could have called me that instant and I could have hopped on the next plane or whatever. Um, and, and so I, I was talking to a friend about it and she's like, and I had already started talking about wanting to move away from the MLM and start my own thing. And she goes, your whole life has really been about 
do you want to be stable to take care of your family, which is why I went into one of, I think, one of still the most stable type of jobs you can get into with tenure and healthcare and a salary. Um, you know, I come from a long line. I mean, at least with my father, he, he, he does hard labor and like does that kind of work, but he's an independent contractor and my mom didn't work. And so no one in my family really had that government type job where it was like an, a, a decent salary um, and, you know, and those kind of opportunities and that security. So that's what I went for. Um, and then, but then she's like, but it's obviously not making you enough money to be able to maybe send your parents. So, I mean, what happened following after that, my dad couldn't work. He, he was, he installed kitchens. Um, so you're not allowed to use, you know, uh, you know, table saws if you're having seizures and you're not allowed to drive. And he had to drive all over LA. So, oh my gosh, my parents pretty much were like not going to have income for a year. And it was really a bad time. And so I was like, and I can't do anything. Like we don't have enough to like help. Right. So that was when I realized, and she goes, you can either take the risk and make quote unquote infinite amount of money because you get to kind of decide by the opportunities that you're taking, or you can stay with the stable job. And you know, you know, what do you want? You actually literally can't have both. They're not at the same. And I was just like, and that was, and when I let that go, because it comes from me, like a lot of my, um, I'm the oldest child and, um, you know, that kind of stuff where it's like, I do want to help take care of my family and my education and my background. I, I went that route to be as stable as possible. And my brother and sister aren't quite following suit. So part of me felt that responsibility. And she's like, what's going to be, what's the answer? Do you want to go the risky way? But then it has all this potential or, but you do have to choose. And I was like, shit. And so th those were like some of the early stages of, of planting this decision. And this was, oh gosh, it must've been in February, March-ish of uh, the year I did leave my job. So I left in December, but I think I knew, we knew in August that I was leaving. And so that last semester, that last fall semester of 2016 is when I told my colleagues and faculty, which isn't the coolest thing, right? I felt, you know, it isn't the coolest thing to walk in mid academic year and be like, yeah, I'm not coming back. All those classes. Especially for, yeah. for tenure track. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, I guess we got to launch that 18 month search again. Yeah. Which unfortunately, yeah. especially on the other on the tail end of the recession that we were dealing with with especially California was just upside down um, we haven't been hiring faculty for a while and so so many departments are backlogged um, yeah I still don't think they have a no they do have a faculty because one of our VPs uh, actually taught sociology so she snuck her way in there and she's like actually I'd rather <laughs> teach again and not do this admin stuff so um, it actually ended up working out but yeah. So anyways, sorry, that like triggered that story for me. And I was thinking, um, you know, yeah, like that is a very that I think is part of the calculation that academics who are starting businesses or, you know, deciding whether or not they want to have side businesses. Those are the calculations they're making. Um, and I'm noticing a pattern in guests as well that sometimes there is some big life event that happens that kind of makes them, pushes them in some way or another, either to start the business or, or to leave. Um, so, yeah, interesting. For me, it was just kind of like inspirational, like just seeing what other people are doing, yeah. what I could be doing. And like, um, if for me, it always just comes down to like identity, you mm -hmm. know, like wh wh who are you? Are you a student affairs professional? Are you a traveler? Do you want, are you an intellectual? Do you like to learn? I, I'm kind of like all that You're stuff. All of it. But mm -hmm. I, 
Yeah, I feel like at some points in my life, I just get pulled in one direction over the other. I just recently found out what a digital nomad is, and I'm like, oh man, that sounds really cool. I want to do that. Can I do that? Yeah, I, <laughs> and you then could. I went down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah sabbatical, yeah. take a year off. There you go. I got it. I got your plan. We'll find it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> take a sabbatical, a year off from a, a, an office that has one person that runs it. Who's me? Yeah, I'm sure. The, I'm sure <laughs> they'll approve it easily. Yeah, Just tell yeah. your president that I, I'm okay with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool, Dave. I'd actually like um, for you to talk a little bit more about those academic skills that you're using uh, that your friend Shannon brought up to you. <laughs> Um, cause that's a question I ask a lot of my guests too. So what, um, what kind of in your background, which is obviously, um, um, varied, like what are you finding is helping you build, uh, your business and how is that helping you kind of make those, uh, initial jumps forward in, in building a business? Uh, so me, for me, it was, um, uh, like one of my one of our faculty members at our institution, um, he gave me he he called me um, the day of my dissertation defense, and he said, "I remember my own defense." He said, "He said there's one piece of advice I'm going to give you that I think will put your mind at ease. Out of everyone in the room, you know the most about this topic. Mm-hmm. No one here knows more about this topic than you do. So if you have that in mind, you you really can't fail because you're the authority here." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did spend." You know, over two years, like recently doing the literature review, the methodology, the theoretical framework, and then I'm presenting my findings here. No one has spent more time with this data. And I was, I went in and, um, like leading up to that. And then since then, I've just become a really confident, um, presenter mm-hmm. and public speaker. Mm-hmm. And I, um, uh, I, I did uh, another, <laughs> funnily enough, another podcast interview I did earlier this week. I was talking about how, uh, I am, whenever I go on trips and vacations, I'm the guy that reads the plaques for everything. (laughs) So like Museum of Natural History, (laughs) Coast Guard Museum. I'm like, you know, they're like, like, where's Dave? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like a hundred feet behind because I didn't finish reading that plaque and I want to get that plaque and I'll I'll, I'll catch up to people and they're like, what'd you learn? And I summarize all of the plaques (laughs) and I'm like, something important happened here. That's why there's a lighthouse. And you know, like I just (laughs) summarize it in a tweet. So like my, my presentation skills and my like, um, information, like dissemination mm-hmm. and, and, and like su- summarization skills are, are, are useful. And I didn't really think about it from that point because, um, like I, I am doing, um, uh, uh, a speaking contract where I'm talking about my research and using games and gamification oh, cool. for like a business mm-hmm. purpose. So, um, like I didn't, I didn't invent gamification. I didn't invent games, but I can certainly talk about it and I can talk about how you can use it in a business, um, in a business setting. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking what I know best, which is this area, this, uh, I wouldn't call it like a niche area, yeah, but like I know, I clearly know more of than the people that have contracted me and I'm going to present to them like what I know. And, th- and that was really the first time I really thought about, oh man, people are paying me mm-hmm. to tell them what I already know. That's great because I am getting paid essentially be the, to be the plaque reading guy of read all those plaques. <laughs> of gamification. Now summarize it in a tweet for <laughs> yeah. everyone. Yeah, basically. I yeah. love it. That's that's a funny way to explain it. I think, um, I, I think that's interesting in that um, your, the idea that 
you're the expert and that knowledge. I mean, so much of what I've gotten out of like running a business is it's all mindset (laughs) because like you're obviously also more worried than everyone in that room. But here's the beautiful part is you're now presenting research and like people are paying you and you're not like they're not gatekeeping you from like the rest of your life, which is what a dissertation is, which is like the worst feeling ever. Um, But yeah, that's really great. I'd love to hear a little bit about your business. So tell us how that is all tying together. We haven't really talked about that. Tell us what you are up to and how you've kind of pulled all of you together into into making um, a service offer. Sure. Um, so it's, it's in its infant stages. So I, I think the one theme I picked up from the past episodes I listened to was, um, everyone you interviewed so far is like pretty, uh, like past the, the startup phase. Mm-hmm. For me, it's just like, Hey, I got this idea. Uh, let's just run with it. Like my, my friend Shannon told me about it. I said, um, uh, I have this speaking engagement through a contact I made at the college. Oh. So I didn't even, I didn't even cultivate this contact. He came to me Perfect. and he was like, I want you to speak at this event. I'll pay you. And I was like, uh, all right. I'm not used to getting paid to speak, but you know, obviously I didn't say that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then, um, I was like, I was asking Shannon, I was like, uh, how do I go about negotiating a contract? Cause I honestly don't know how valuable what mm-hmm. is in my head is worth. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember going into the, the contract, um, thinking, uh, I, I forget what other podcasts I was listening to. I listen to a lot of podcasts, yeah, by the tell. way. That's, That's like good. What, what I do. <laughs> Um, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to put, I'm going to write down this number and then I'm just going to keep increasing it until I find it's a laughable amount of money <laughs> That's to a pay good strategy. me. <laughs> and then I got to a point and I was like, okay, I'm just going to add on 20% on top of that. And I set them that and, um, we negotiated and obviously I didn't get that number, but I, I am getting paid, which is nice. And, um, uh, the, the business so far is this, is the speaking engagement. Um, the other part I'm considering doing, and I was talking about, um, talking about this with my, my friend Anthony. Uh, I, I, freak, I think it was on Pat Flynn's podcast or something else about, um, you know, if you, if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to offer something, first think about something that you're, you like mm-hmm. doing. Then think about something that you're good at. And then think about something that has a market. And if you can find an overlap between all three of them, bam, you know, you have a business idea. So it hasn't, I haven't put it out yet because I honestly need to find a few hours in my week to, to put this together on top of everything else of, um, uh, I have become, uh, really good at researching for interviews. Mm. So like in student affairs or academic searches, it's not like a corporate job search. You know, these are things that take months mm-hmm. to go through and it's vetted and there's a lot of people that go through the process. So I've done hundreds of interviews for for higher education in the past. So the way I prepare for that is I put together a briefing book and that book is, you know, the position description, um, the insti- the the college's mission, the the um department's mission this position's like specific um specific mm-hmm. outcomes whoever had the position last what they were doing before what they did in the position where where they are now um who is on the interview committee um their academic background their work history if they have any um um social media background like in facebook twitter linkedin or anything else i add that there i add like potential um uh, potential interview questions. And I also add like touch points oh, sure. like, hey, this this person who would be the direct supervisor has been at the institution for 10 plus years. They're an alumnus. Uh, they left for a while. They worked for a state college. Oh my gosh, and this came is back. gold. I like, I remember yeah. going through the interview process and, and doing yeah, my yeah. own version of that, but it was way sh- and not as comprehensive. <laughs> and I yeah. think I only did it once I got to a certain level. Did you do that at the like interview stage, like where you've been asked to an interview? 
I do that. At, I, I I do this even for a phone screen. I'm like, these are the potential wow. people that could phone screen you. Be prepared. Like this person, like this, I build a profile. Like this person's been at the college mm-hmm. for 10 years, an alumnus. You really want to talk about legacy with this person because this mm. is some person that's going to value stability and someone that's going to want to see you will really fit the mold of this place. And I do that with everyone, like from the um, department chair to the um, managing supervisor to anyone on this the committee to potential colleagues. <laughs> and I'm like, and I can whip this up in like under 60 minutes for an entire position if I Not have the right, right information. So I'm like, oh man, I'm really good at that. I am. Um, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy researching it because I feel like you know, like I have the upper hand here because I have all the in- all the intelligence now. And I um and I think there's a market for it because there are people that are interviewing mm-hmm. for administrative or academic jobs, and I think I can sell this. So, um, I have not done any legwork other than compose this in my head, but that's what I want to sell, and I think that there's a market and that the people will pay for it. Well, they might be listening right now. So <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. They very I just well might wanna, be listening. Yeah, and like I know, I, and you know, like fingers crossed, someone contacts me, and I'm like, um, all right, I'll put it together for you. Here's my email address, so you can PayPal me, I guess. Like, yeah, I have there no, you go. I have no business infrastructure other than this idea. Right and you know, and I mean, I think that's a message that's coming through in some of my interviews as well. Is like, this is really the time to be able to start a side business with no overhead, where you literally can be like, what skill set do I have? What do I have knowledge around that people need help with? Right because we're all short on like one of a few things like time, energy, money. Um, maybe those are like the main three, right? And so it's like, what can, what will I pay for to not have to worry about that? And man, if I know anything about um, academic job, like that's, <laughs> I remember when I decided even to start this podcast, I was thinking about like, oh my gosh, I'm so close to the mindset of these folks. Like to be able to, you know, have a podcast and say out loud, like, guys, you don't have to do another, you know, awkward academic interview and wait a whole year to be able to apply into the market again. Um, so you yeah, we know that that's one of the terrible parts about about like being an academic is these jobs, you know, they're they're batched in in like, you know, you're probably put, just posted some new jobs right now, right? And they're coming up for interviews in spring and early summer and um and then you have to wait a whole year. So you have to put all this energy and effort into that because that's your only shot and it's competitive. Um and so if you can cut through some of that because a lot of us are casting wide nets as well, right? We have 10 of these interviews. Um, And so to be able to offload some of that pre-work that you really don't, if you think about here I am writing your copy. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, you really don't, um, need to uh, go out and do that research yourself for you. Like I could read a briefing report and be like, okay, yeah, I know actually how this, you know, how I could talk about this and weave this in. Um, You're doing the legwork on something that doesn't have to be done by the person who needs the information. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I love it. I want to promote it everywhere. I'm going to be an affiliate. I don't know what. I was like, all right, just uh, again, no business infrastructure. We can negotiate that off off podcast. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But that's this is a need for sure. For sure. Like I know I know how to do this. I've done it so many times now. And um, I remember I I guess I just had the idea kind of sprouted up because I am I still donate my time. Like it's really important to me that Mm. I cultivate new new professionals in the field. So I always take on a new mentee from NYU where I graduated oh, that's awesome. and I was helping my mentee um, apply for some jobs and I put together a sample like briefing book for her and she's like 
Why you do this for a phone screen? I was like, yeah, you you have to go in there. You better nail more this. than the committee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I like I go in. I tell her like my mindset when I go into a, a search committee is that I know more than all of you. Mm-hmm. You don't know that, but you soon will. You know, and that that is my mindset. I, again, it's like the dissertation. Like I know the most about this topic. Y'all yep. better listen because I'm about to drop some knowledge on you, and and this is where it's coming from. So these briefing reports, actually, are you doing this for um, on the side of the? people doing the hiring too right are you doing it about the candidates even or no i i was only potentially just um uh just gonna sell it to the candidates because uh-huh. you know if you're if you're a search committee worth your salt you you would have done this you research already done it. yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean i i guess i could do it for search committees but um I don't know. I never really considered that. Maybe I should sell it to search committees. Let me tell you about being on some search committees for like even <laughs> just part-timers. I wasn't on a... Wait, wait. Was I on a full-time? I can't... Oh, we were trying to hire a dean. I was. Dude, when you have teachers who are already burned out and overworked and they need to be in the hiring process as part of our... Yes, I mean, it's part of our load um, of whatever contribution to the college percentage or whatever. Um, Their service. But like, we're tired, man. And there are half of the professors showing up to those meetings not having done shit. So (laughs) if the school were to pay for you to do that, so we didn't have to do some of that stuff. I mean, obviously we need to read the, the letters and stuff like that, but man, if we sat down and there was a briefing statement of all the other information we could collect that aren't, aren't related to what we ask for. I mean, that's the other part we could, man, we could go down this rabbit hole. We should start a business together. Um, you want to, because yeah, I could could (laughs) use the help at this point since I have zero clients right now. (laughs) Right. I mean, if you I think make, about it, full, di- full disclosure, like I have not sold this briefing book to anyone. This is just the idea in my head right now. It you sold to it up. to me as somebody who, oh, okay. who was an ideal client a couple years ago. How about that? Um, <laughs> okay. No, but even as a briefing, even as sitting down at that table, first of all, I think a lot of the hiring process is a little old. Like the whole cover letter thing doesn't really make sense anymore. There isn't a lot of things prompting anyone on the committee to check social media. Maybe there is now. I mean, but I mean, I only left in 2016. And I think I was on that hiring committee that summer, you know, so I, you know, that process and what they ask of the candidates, I don't think is actually helping them make the right decision. So someone doing a briefing, um, and us like, you know, literally changing the process, I think would would benefit people going through the process. But yeah, I could see it even helping the colleges. (laughs) Because again, I'm telling you, the acad- like, and this is part of my the mindset shift I had. And there's an interview coming out um, that I just did, but she's going to talk a little bit about this too. Um, and you know this: the service to the college a lot of times goes completely and totally like you go way over typically the percentage that you're required to do. And um, when she started her side business, she started a makeup company. Um, and those of you listening, it will probably be the last part, the last thing, but um, or the most previous one. Uh, she she just decided I'm. Done. Like, what do I? What am I required to do for the school? I'm going to do exactly that, and I'm not doing any hour over and completely document it. Um, and so, you know, I the boundaries of service to the institution is a little blurry, and that I think is contributing to burnout. It's contributing to too much falling on different faculty members because it's all like quote unquote volunteer. Um, you know, where you put your hours, you get to somewhat decide as a faculty member. Um, but in the end, you just give, you know, and and like without maybe ever talking about boundaries. And I don't think I've ever had that conversation until I got to entrepreneurship. And I was like, oh, everyone's talking about boundaries. 
what? Like, what? Well, there, those exist. Um, you know, when you care about your students and the and the college and what you're doing, the work, like that work. Um, you know, oh, whoa, boundaries as as being something. You know, I don't know any professors talking about that. Um, so to draw that line in the sand and be like, I'm going to build a business with those hours instead of giving it away totally for free. Um, so that brings up this idea that professors are, I think, starting to negotiate that a little bit. Like, where am I putting these hours that are, are going unanswered? And either they're retreating in their office or escaping home early, or um, or they're just overworking is what's happening, and um, which I see so much. So you might want to consider it. Because if you've got an institution, you know, we all know that that's slow. Like, <laughs> getting that to be approved on some sort of budget makes probably no sense, but... Um, hey, I don't know. You get in with a college or something and you're you're making their hiring process easier and not charging them anything too crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean like Yeah, I'll try that. Try from the institution side. But I think that um uh you like what you said about faculty is, is entirely true. Yeah. However, I think that like with faculty because for most institutions it's based on your scholarship, it's mm-hmm. based on teaching, it's based on service. That's mm-hmm. what they really look at when you when you come up for tenure and promotion. Um, but I feel I, I don't I don't see this on on faculty um, listings that frequently. But for administrative postings, specifically in like student affairs, there's always that last bullet point, and it's always the bullet point that you see everywhere. And I even uh, I wrote a book about semester at C, and I titled it "Other Duties as Assigned" because that's, that's so always good. the last. Yes. That's always the last bullet of every student affairs posting because it's like, hey, in addition to all that stuff we want you to do, we can assign you anything we want whenever we want. And you are responsible for doing it. And that is that is where you get your... That's when 40 hours becomes 80 hours. I forgot about that line. Um, and as many listeners know, I was on the union for a while. So I know that those lines... I mean, yeah. I mean, it just comes raining down. They're never taking off bullet points. They are just secretly adding them. And then they're reinterpreting what the job description says, right? And then squeezing every last bit out of you. Aw. Yeah. So I think what I think is interesting about you as a guest, too, is, um, you know, the, the being at, like in the academic institution in a different angle that I, I, personally didn't experience. Um, but then the other side too, you're really early in your business. And I kind of love that because I, I think I probably have listeners now who are on the fence about like making this leap and kind of um, taking some of these first steps. So do you have any advice on, and yeah, like maybe you don't have any clients yet, but you have a speaking gig that, you know, someone has paid you money that was not written by a check by your institution. So that's a win in my book. Um, The first client is always the hardest one to get. So based on that, like what are some steps that you took to make that happen? Because it didn't, even if they came to you, you were you were doing some stuff. So, what are some first steps that you think um, someone could take? Uh, I I don't know. Like I, I don't know if I can generalize to no, all okay. entrepreneurial activities because you know everyone's gifted in different ways. But I remember um, uh, there was like a, for I, I'll talk about public speaking because sure. that's what I taught last semester and that's what I'm being contracted to do right now. Is that uh, I remember Simon Sinek from uh, TED Talk. Mm-hmm. His his one his opening piece of advice was that he cheats at public speaking. And he says he cheats because he only talks about things that he's passionate about. Mm. And, um, you know, like I, I'm passionate about games. I'm passionate about learning. I'm passionate about using 
those two things together. So I I would say like yeah I kind of cheat too because I don't really I don't no, for no amount of money do I want you to pay me to talk about something that I'm not like like 100% enthusiastic and invested in. Mm. Um, so that I guess th- that would be my piece of advice for speaking. The second one and I don't know who said it but it was you know like how do you find that alignment between something you like doing something you're good at and something that there's a market for mm-hmm. because if you can't find all those three things then you're not going to have a good you know like business idea going into it uh and the last part is that um i kind of i kind of hate to say it but like when you every entrepreneur has told me that when you get into an entrepreneurial mindset you have to think about what is my time worth in hours mm. you know like how how much is this hour you know like worth it to me mm. if it is um it is like i remember i i um I booked or I started like contracting a housekeeper because I was spending mm. all this time like vacuuming and cleaning. Like I'm not, I guess I'm not that typical guy that just has a pigsty. Like I like having a neat apartment and neat home. So I was like, wait, uh, I don't know if I really want to be scrubbing this toilet right now. One, I don't like doing it. Two, I could be writing something mm. right now that will be worth something else. And three, like I could easily pay someone else to do that. And since then I just hire a housekeeper. They come in, they clean. I'm happy. They're happy. They get paid. So it's trying to find out like, what is this hour of my yep. life worth yep. right now? And, and can I sell that for something? Yep. Yeah. That's huge. That was, that was when I started to make, and I think it's related to the, to what we were talking about before, like the service you're giving to the college that you're not documenting and going way double, triple, quadruple past, you know, the hours that are required of you. I mean, that is time of your life. And, and yes, uh, most of us enjoy it a lot. And like service to the college is really important, but I think it was the moment I started to get paid for contract work. And maybe it was tied to your lift driving that I realized like, Oh yeah, this actually is hourly. (laughs) Like my life can be divided into hours and how, and, and like how much of it am I spending doing something I want to be doing? And I thought I found that with teaching because I truly loved it. I've said that before too. I didn't, I didn't leave the institution running away because I hated it. I, you know, I kind of like had, you know, some, I still have some issues about like leaving it totally. Um, but I think that 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 contract per hour mindset shift was also something that once it like it almost like became real uh, or or sorry, I lived it maybe that I had lived experience behind it. I was like, oh, um, now I see what's happening. And there there was an entrepreneur. His name is Todd Herman. And he was one of I think he was the first course I ever bought actually, um, in business, which was scary, um, because he was getting paid. We don't even want to talk about it. It was like, it was like, (laughs) probably not quite depending on what uh, state you're in, but, uh, maybe teaching an entire class a lecture class over the course of a semester, uh, could have been close to like his pay, um, for that course. So it's not a small chunk, but, um, he talked a lot about productivity. And I remember one of the most mind blowing pieces that I just had never heard, um, was, you know, there are $10 an hour tasks. There are $100 an hour tasks. There are $1,000 an hour tasks. Like, and he basically had you document your time. And what is a $10 task? Meaning, could you hire and pay someone 
whatever to make the graphic for you or write a social media post or clean your house, which maybe isn't a $10 task, but you start to think about it like that. And are you working on a $1,000 an hour task? Like, yeah, can I quantify the ROI of, you know, rewriting a sales page or, or, or building out my services or doing outreach to, to get more clients? Oh, that's $1,000 an hour task. Like no one else can do that. Only I can do that. And so you start making those switches. So that happened to me early on as well. When Because as an entrepreneur, you're doing all the things, especially in the very, very beginning. Um, you're building the website, you're writing the copy, you're doing whatever you can, you're doing the outreach, you're doing the social media posts, you're showing up to the podcast, you're doing all of it. Um, so then when you start to get some traction, that's when you start making these decisions. Okay, like, you know, what can I streamline? Um, and my previous guest talked about this a little bit too. She started to streamline her classes. And that's what I started to do because I was teaching online, which gave me some flexibility flexibility, right? Um, how can I streamline? How can I tighten this up so I don't have as many emails, whatever. Um, and so these are the kind of decisions you can make that will set you up to be able to, to build this business on the side. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. That I think was, I, I just love connecting with people that I feel like similar backgrounds and stories. Um, and I, I felt that way with you. And this was a really super fun podcast. I really enjoyed it. So um, where can people find you to make that briefing so they can get that tenure track job? Um, so my uh, my website is D-A-V-E-N-G design.com. It's Dave Ang, but there's only one E. Uh, like early 90s, it's it sounded pretty cool to drop cool. an E from my website, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Now it's just crazy because that's not how you spell it. And now my it's name. like $2,000 otherwise if you, you've lost it. Yeah, yeah. There's other Dave Angs. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so there's www.daveangdesign.com. My email is D-A-V-E-E-N-G at D-A-V-E-E-N-G design.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm on all the social meds so you can you can find me there uh and uh i just want to say i'm really glad i was on this podcast i i listen to a ton of audio every week and um this is one of my favorite oh, ones to listen to so i appreciate it a lot yeah. yeah um yeah thank you so much and i'll definitely drop all the direct links and show notes as well so uh for those of you on your desktops or you know want to do a direct hyperlink when you get home that's how you do it cool dave well i can't wait to see your business blow up and i get a message about all these briefings that you've sold or the pivots and changes that you're making. So if you're doing online education gamification, that's also super, super important. And I look forward to watching you. Cool. I appreciate it. Thank you. I can't wait to share with you our first, first ever written comment on iTunes. This is so exciting. And I just wanted to share with you um, a customer review that was left of a listener. And basically, Leading Latina says that you should subscribe to Academics Mean Business if you want to get inspired by other academics who use their knowledge outside of the academy through a business that lets them make an impact on their own terms. I'm so excited to share with all of you our very, very first review. And I would love to share share new reviews as they come in. So if you haven't yet reviewed Academics Means Business on iTunes, please do so. Uh, doing it from the desktop is a little bit different than your mobile phone. So if you're on your phone, um, essentially you actually want to search for the podcast and type it in. You cannot do a rating from the subscription uh, page. So that's just a little bit of a heads up. And when it comes to being on your desktop, you need to view it in iTunes in order to give it a rating. Um, 
and when you click through uh, and get and search the the podcast in iTunes, you are allowed to write a, v- a review when you go to ratings and reviews. Awesome. I'm so glad people are loving this and subscribing and listening. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much.